Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth, your Bible study programme with the teacher Brian Johnston. Today's talk is called Saviour or Judge. And Brian takes a further look now into the Gospel by Mark in chapters 10 and 11 in particular. He delves more deeply into the events recorded by Mark and the significance of some of the things that were said, picking up on some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. That makes it very interesting and when we study the Bible in this way we enlarge our own understanding of the Scriptures and our effectiveness as disciples of Christ in turn. So. Let's enjoy more of this from Brian. Thanks, John. Recently, I visited a couple of cities where the rich and famous are known to live. However, what stood out most for me was the number of homeless poor who are walking the streets, begging and sleeping in battered tents right near to the mansions of the rich people. I thought of Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus, the beggar, and their different attitudes to God, and so their different destinies. We get a similar sense of rich and poor together in the way Mark arranges his material as we move now into the final section of his Gospel. He's told us about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus to inquire about how he might possess eternal life. He turned away from Jesus and left sorrowful. Now we read in chapter 10 verse 46, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Unlike the rich ruler, this blind man, once healed, began immediately to follow Jesus as he left Jericho and headed into Jerusalem. We are now at the end of Mark chapter 10. After chapters 8 through 10, we enter the final stage of Mark's Gospel. Jesus has now arrived at his final destination, the city of Jerusalem, of course. This is where all the remaining action takes place. Mark is going to walk us through it. Let me ask you, are you ever guilty of repeating yourself? There are times when we do so deliberately for it to have a planned effect. Mark does that now. Listen to this. It's the beginning of chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders there were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. 
and many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sure you picked up on the repetition of one particular word in that short reading. Yes, it was the word coat, used for a young donkey. Although we all imagine it to be true, the Bible doesn't actually tell us that Mary, when pregnant with Jesus, rode on a donkey into Bethlehem. But Mark here does tell us that Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. More accurately, it was a colt, the foal of a donkey. But why does Mark keep repeating the word colt? He wants to catch her attention and ring some bells, as we say. That is, he wants us to recall a text from the Old Testament. Here it is. It's from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Even as Jesus' birth was predicted to be in Bethlehem, his arrival into Jerusalem, where he would die, was also predicted. The crowds shouted out their hosannas. The idea contained in this word is salvation. God's king had arrived to save them. The mood would soon change, however. Jesus' first public words at Jerusalem are laden with judgment. In Warren Wearsby's book, Meet Yourself in the Psalms, he tells about a frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon carrying a little boy. Seeing the child in danger, a young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop the wagon. The child who was saved grew up to become a lawless man, and one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner recognised the judge as the man who, years before, had saved his life, so he pled for mercy on the basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then I was your saviour. Today I am your judge, and I must sentence you to be hanged. I'm reminded of that illustration as I read Mark's account of what is generally referred to as Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where he was to die within a week. And he would die in exactly the way that he has been repeatedly foretelling to his disciples. Jesus was greeted as a saviour, but he quickly turned to judge the situation into which he had entered. By this I mean that he famously entered the temple and overturned the tables of those who exchanged money there for animals to be sacrificed. This wasn't because it was inappropriate in itself, but there was corruption involved. It was, for some, a way of making money for themselves out of legitimate temple business. Mark has also noted for us the fact that Jesus was deliberately using a form of words from the Old Testament. The words Jesus quoted describe the temple as a den of robbers. Mark wants us to register that this has a certain context in the writing of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 7, verse 9. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations? Has this house, 
which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And so we see the context. Jesus' use of the words, den of robbers, in relation to the Jewish temple, resonated with the sense of God's impending judgment. They refer back to the desolation of the first place of worship, which Joshua had located at Shiloh when the Israelites had come into the promised land at the first. But they also served then as a warning that God was going to send the Babylonian armies to destroy his temple which Solomon had built at Jerusalem. Jesus' message now ought to have been very clear. By repeating this phrase, Jesus was sounding a warning that the days of even this replacement temple, known as Herod's temple, were already numbered. Perhaps Peter gets something of this significance not only picked up from this phrase, but it may also have been the fact that Mark tells us Jesus cursed a fig tree at this time because of its barrenness. The very next day, Peter can't help noticing the fig tree cursed by Jesus had withered away. Does Peter now fear for the similar loss of the temple, as he had just seen happen overnight with the fig tree? Maybe he thinks, if a similar judgment should befall the temple, what hope is there for us? After all, at the dedication of that earlier temple which had stood there, Solomon had asked God that his eyes would be upon it to favour his people who prayed for help there, conscious of their sins. If the temple was made desolate, where would they then get help? Where would they find answers to prayer? Where would they get forgiveness? The fig tree had represented the lack of return that God's people were bringing to God. They were just as barren and so under God's judgment. However, Jesus said that his followers should have faith in God. If so, as he had removed the fig tree, so mountainous difficulties could be removed by prayer. Access to God and forgiveness would not be withheld. Jesus, rather than any venerated sight, is where we can meet with God.
I remind you again that there's a book which contains all the transcripts of these programmes and it's available just for the asking. If you'd like a copy, just write in, either using post or email address. Uh, don't forget to ask for the title, of course, Take Your Marks Gospel, and the email and postal address are Search for Truth, Haste Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Button Bassett, Swindon SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know as well that many titles of these programmes have been turned into uh, books, that's e-books of course, and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. And when you're in the Kindle store, uh, type Search for Truth Brian Johnston into the field and you'll find them. So, I hope you profited from today's teaching and please join us again next week if you can. We'd be delighted to have you for a further study in the Gospel of Mark. But until then, it's cheerio and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So, goodbye and may God richly bless you. Oh uh-huh.